Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. The title of the book, Counseling Issues, a handbook for counselors and psychotherapists, and the author is George Sieber. And George joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, George. Oh, hi, Steve. Greetings from New Zealand. Well, great to uh, talk to you across the world via this great technology that makes it sound like we're sitting in the same studio together. That's right. Well, let's first... I'll share a few things you've written about your book so everyone understands uh, what counseling issues is all about, and then we'll find about find out about your background. You say this is a comprehensive handbook of 22 chapters covering all the major issues a counselor or psychotherapist might meet in the counseling room. So it's practical, based on sound psychological principles, a lot of research here, a wealth of ideas, and especially for the inexperienced counselor, the psychotherapist, uh, looking for some guidance. So you've really, I know, done a lot of research here. This has taken a number of years to do. Well, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background, George, and then why you wrote the book. Well, Steve, um, I've been interested actually in mathematics from an early age, and uh, after doing a master's degree in maths at Auckland University in New Zealand, uh, I decided to do a PhD in statistics in, in Manchester in England. It was uh, on a scholarship. And it was a steep learning curve because um, I knew very little about statistics. But my research went well and I, I finished in two and a half years. And I returned to New Zealand and God blessed me with rapid promotions. So I was eventually appointed as a full professor in statistics in the mathematics department. At one stage I became the chairman of the department before statistics split up and to form a separate department. Uh, apart from writing research papers on a variety of topics like ecology, genetics, survey sampling and theoretical stuff you don't want to know about, I always liked the challenge of writing books, especially large, advanced, comprehensive books. Something about the challenge of it, I think. So I've authored or co-authored 15 books in statistics. Um, I'm writing two books at present, one in statistics and the other in science and religion. In the background of all of this, I've always been interested in uh, helping students and getting alongside people. So that in my 60s, I trained for three years to become a counsellor, or as you say in the US, a psychotherapist. And uh, I did this at a theological college. When I began counselling 10 years ago, I could not find a book that would help me with some counselling ideas over a wide range of topics that wasn't too technical. Uh, for example, um, when I wanted to know how to counsel for anger management, I'd have to read several books on the subject and look up the internet. What I wanted was quick ideas. As I read counseling books, um, I would write up a summary that I could use for myself or give to clients. And as these multiplied, I could see that I had the beginnings of a book. I got the writing bug again. You know, Steve, I think I need counseling for it. <laughs> and decided to write a book that would virtually cover any issue that would arise in the counselling room. Um, the last topic to be added was cell phone addiction. 
<laughs> so I guess it's not surprising it took me about four years to write the book. And uh, it has a bibliography of over 500 references as well as any internet references. So that's, that's how I came to write the book. Well, the book covers basic emotional issues, anger, shame, anxiety, stress, grief, depression, anxiety disorders, and suicide risk, and behavioral issues like addiction, phobias, and compulsive behaviors. Wow, it's, you know, everything you ever wanted to ask, but you were afraid to ask. I mean, you've got it all Yeah, I probably have all of those at the moment. (laughs) Well, that's important. I mean, because we all know relationships hinge on how we deal with our innermost fears and anxieties because unfortunately they usually manifest themselves in the worst way in a family, in a relationship, right? That's right, yes. And so you're helping many through this guidebook for psychotherapists, counselors. What's the most important thing to you in counseling? What would you say? Well, the most important thing is to be there for the person. Um, you know, 80% of, of, of counseling is communicating um, and, and being aware of how the person is and being there for them more than anything else. The other 20% is basically know-how, but the 80% really is, is just so that you connect with them and, um, you know, you walk with them and try and be with them right through the whole process. So every chapter is loaded with different suggestions, different uh, helps for the counselor. For example, in chapter one, you give aspects of physiological and brain function uh, to provide a background for thoughts, emotion, behavior. That's important to know right there. Just physiological, they're, they're, that has to be addressed. Oh, absolutely. In fact, there's a very close connection, of course, between our body and our mind, and each one affects the other. And so it's important to lay some sort of foundations for how our brain works. Like, for example, you know, we may be walking along, and this doesn't happen in New Zealand, but it can happen in America where you're walking along a path and you think you see a a rattlesnake, and immediately your body leaps into action. The amygdala, which is part of the brain, says, hey, get out of here. And then you realize as the thinking process catches up, it's only a stick. Mm. And so sometimes our emotions can Mm -hmm. jump our minds or our brains and sometimes our minds can cause us to have emotions because of faulty thinking. And of course... There's a very close connection. And I've got something there also on the aging brain. Right, I see that. That's particularly important. I'm not so young myself. I'm actually 75. But those issues of those later years bring different challenges that we've never faced before. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, our young people today are facing things which, you know, we never knew anything about. The whole technology has changed so much, and it's still changing. And, of course, um, we have difficulties keeping up with it. As we get older, it gets harder. And as I say to some people, as I get older and older, I get better and better at taking longer and longer to do less and less. Well, you've addre- you address, of course, all these different emotional levels, like we've mentioned, anger, guilt, shame, stress, anxiety, fear. So how, how do you help us understand, especially the psychotherapist, which this is geared to, the counselor, to help that person to help the individual that's 
dealing with these very, very stressful uh, parts of our lives, uh, you know, uh, what's the best way that you're helping that counselor help the person with these issues? Well, I should say from the beginning that, that this book is not just for counselors, um, and particularly beginning counselors, but it's also written for people like social workers, um, uh, counselors in schools, uh, people who are, say, pastors or any kind of self-help process. So what I'm saying are comments not just for a, a counsellor, but for anybody who really wants to help. And also, too, it's, it's, it has an advantage as a self-help book. So I've tried to give lots of ideas, uh, questions that can be asked, uh, at, at times w the way to structure the counselling sessions, um, and also, too, to give references to future literature. So it's meant to be a handbook. So it's something that uh, you can put on the shelf, and then when you want something, you take it off, like a dictionary, and, and look up a particular topic and immediately get some information about what causes anger, for example, where does it come from, how do we deal with it, what sort of um, aspects of it do we need to work on. So that's that's what I'm trying to do. I don't know whether that really answers your question very well or not. Well, yes, uh, because you're focusing us on, uh, you know, exactly the the uh, general benefit of your book, of course, and then there's anxiety disorders, phobias, traumas, compulsive type disorders. What about suicide risk? How do we deal with that? Well, that's a tricky one, and uh, I, I really need to have my book open in front of me at the moment. But the, the problem with suicide risk is that often we just don't know when a person is likely to do it. It's often very unexpected. A person can be, you know, going along apparently in life quite comfortably when in actual fact they're contemplating suicide. And so it's a topic which needs very careful handling. And if a person indicates any kind of um, tendency towards this direction, what I usually do is I ask them if they would refrain from doing any harm to themselves at least till our next session, just to put in there a safety net, and if in fact they have at any time really difficult problems with thoughts, um, I had one person ring me recently, and there are several things you can do, one is to say, look, you can ring me any time, uh, another idea, for example, is if you're feeling this way, get out and have a brisk walk, get going physically, because mm. uh, that will often help to settle down some of those internal conflicts that are going on. So if you change your body uh, motion, if you get your body moving, uh, then that changes your emotion. It can do, yes. And in fact, one of the planks for counseling for depression now is uh, physical activity. In the past, it was regarded as sort of an extra, but now it's become a main part of recovering from well, stress as well because exercise helps to alleviate stress, um, it helps the body to relax and um, it also helps to lift the spirits. We have various things, we have a lots of different substances in our body which help us. We have our own tranquilizers, we have um, things like cortisol which uh, helps us to get going and adrenaline 
the body is a wonderful thing. It has all sorts of emotions, all sorts of substances uh, which are created in the brain which can help us, and it's a matter of tapping into those to help us um, to get over the difficulties that we are having. Now you have a chapter on grief and loss, and you have three chapters on addiction. Yes. Well, they're all they're both big topics, and grief and loss is um, there's all any any time there is a loss of any sort, uh, grief always follows. And of course, the amount of grief depends on the loss. It could be loss of a job, it could be a loss of um, a friend, it could be loss of a loved one, it could be loss of status. There's all sorts of ways in which we can grieve, and and I've got I talk about things like children, how they respond when a parent has died, and what about pets, what about um, you know changing jobs. I, I try to cover it fairly comprehensively. On the addiction side, addictions are unfortunately very prevalent in our society these days, and I've got three chapters there. One a general chapter which covers sort of all sorts of addictions. One on substance addiction, like for example smoking or alcohol or, or any kind of drugs, and process addiction or behavioural addictions, for example, and maybe gambling or pornography or you know a whole range of things. I mean, people can get addicted to almost anything these days, unfortunately. And then two chapters on abuse, uh, abuse of children, and you know adults abusing yeah. adults. So that's unfortunately prevalent in today's society. Oh, it, it is, and it's it's a serious issue. It's certainly come up in New Zealand, and I know it'll be it'll come up in most parts of the world. Um, and people who suffer abuse of children with, them, with their girls or boys often find that these things surface, maybe even you know, in their 40s, they, as they are growing up, at one stage they sort of learn to keep the lid on these things and eventually they can't keep the lid on any longer and then it can reassert itself. It may reassert itself in the marriage where there are intimacy problems because something that happens in their relationship triggers a memory of sexual abuse. It's like somebody uh, um, doesn't like being in a swimming pool because... At one stage, they were molested there, so that there are there are all kinds of of connections which can come up later. Four chapters dealing with relationship issues, dysfunctional relationships, divorce. Uh, of course, you have couple counseling. You even have something called blended families. That's right, and that that includes um, adopted children. Now, these days, we have a, a lot of remarriages. And, and we have people uh, living together, cohabiting, um, so that there are a variety of um, labels we can give to um, relationships, uh, even same-sex relationships. Um, we can also have um, um, dysfunctional. We can have dysfunctional relationships in any of them. In fact, one of the areas I specialise most in is couple counselling and relationship issues. So that's why there's a chapter on divorce. Um, I've run uh, uh, workshops on recovery from divorce in the past. <clears throat> and because it's so prevalent these days, um, I decided I'd certainly uh, have a chapter on that in there. I also have two adopted children. Uh, and so, again, that gave me an interest in including adoption. This book has some quite difficult topics in it. 
which uh, can cause uh, considerable difficulty in relationships. Uh, for example, anorexia is unfortunately very prevalent today, often amongst uh, young girls, and also to self-harm is another one. Now, now these topics aren't for beginning counsellors, but I've included them because people need to recognise the symptoms of you know, one of these things so they can perhaps refer them on to more experienced counsellors. So I have covered not only <clears throat> topics which are, I think, helpful for the beginning counsellor, but I've found from Response New Zealand that experienced counsellors are also um, very interested in the book. We've been listening to George Sieber. He is the author of his new book, Counseling Issues, a handbook for counselors and psychotherapists. George, tell us how to get your book. Well, at the moment, um, it's available through Ex Libris, uh, through their website. It's also available on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Fish Pond, and half a dozen other um, um, book-selling places. So um, there's, there's plenty of choice. It's available in hardcover, a softcover, and also as an ebook. Well, thank you so much, George, for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate being able to talk to you and to uh, bring, hopefully, a, a book which will help many people. That's my goal. I'm not so interested in making money out of it, but I wanted to get it out there so that people can be helped by it. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management, the holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness, how emotions are directly related to physical illness and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent Live, every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirit Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature, and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com.
Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Life of a Double Agent. And the author is Kenneth J. Kerr, and Ken joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Ken. Hi, Steve. How are you? Great to have you with us. Uh, this is an exciting page-turner, Jim Hunt, double agent. We're going to learn more about uh, how he got recruited uh, by the CIA, by the Chinese intelligence agency. Uh, of course, he even was a great, uh, I guess he saved Bob Hope uh, during a Christmas, a Christmas tour in Vietnam. So we'll find out about that and also how he even uh, ends up in Russia at the end of the book and dealing with nuclear producing weapons, grade plutonium. So there's a, a lot of twists and turns in this. Before we find out more about Jim Hunt, uh, tell us about yourself, Ken, and uh, your background and why you decided to write the book. Okay, first of all, I'm a uh, retired uh, person that spent uh, his career as in business. Um, I went to college and was a chemical engineer, and somewhat like the uh, career of uh, Jim Hunt, I went to Vietnam and spent a year in the Vietnam War. After the war, I went to work for a large chemical company and spent really a career in the chemical and plastics business. Uh, after spending about 30 years with that company, I retired from, the, from them and went to work for two or three other smaller companies for several more years. Uh, finally, had had enough of work and decided to retire, and my wife and I chose Hilton Head, South Carolina, as the place that we wanted to retire. Um, but after we got to Hilton Head, after a short period of time, I was getting a little itchy and wanted to do something else. So I decided to try to join the Peace Corps. And I interviewed with them and uh, found that they had an opportunity uh, for even old people like me. And uh, I spent a year with the Peace Corps living in uh, the middle of Siberia in Russia. And it turned out to be one of the greatest experiences of my life. Wow. Uh, so it's, uh, mm. it's been an, uh, uh, an exciting time. Well, it sounds like uh, Jim Hunt kind of following in your footsteps a little bit. <laughs> well, the, the way I describe that is some of, the, some of my business experiences kind of parallel right. uh, his life. But what I really did was took that parallel and created a fictional character and added on... Mm -hmm. uh, the double agent components of his life, and uh, all of a sudden I had a book. I think we could all believe, Kenneth, about this homegrown uh, double agent. Uh, you know, this, this plot, this theme of your book is really plausible because here is a young man uh, in college, and suddenly the CIA shows up. Tell us where this all starts. Well, that's uh, you you describe the way it does begin. He goes to college. He, before college, he was pretty much a normal guy growing up in America. But uh, during his junior year in college, when uh, this was in the 60s, when there were some uh, radical activities on some of the college campuses, the CIA approached him and uh, hired him kind of on a part-time basis to keep track of uh, the protesters and some of the things going on on the college campus where he was. And luckily, he was at a college campus that was not heavily involved in some of the 
uh, protest activities, so it was a pretty easy job for him while he was in college. But the irony was, after college, he had a military obligation, so he went in the Army, and while he was waiting to be deployed to Vietnam, um, he was approached by some people from the Chinese intelligence organization, and they ended up recruiting him to work for them. Uh, He called, contacted the CIA, so he... The CIA encouraged him to work with the Chinese intelligence, so so he really kind of became a mole within the Chinese intelligence organization. So uh, within a few years, he had become a double agent and ended up living in Vietnam in the jungle. Um, So it uh, hopefully is a very plausible uh, story the way I've tried to weave it together. Well, we've got a number of, I'm sure, uh, characters that support him, uh, either as uh, in a friendly way or in the adversarial way. Uh, uh, tell us about some of those support characters. Okay, well, his, I think his primary support character is a fellow named Ben Stokes, uh, who is his handler at the CIA. He was involved in the original interviewing process uh, when the CIA inter- interviewed uh, Jim, and he remains kind of Jim's handler, confidant, um, uh, all, all, played all kinds of roles. They really became quite good friends over the career, and he stayed with Jim, involved with Jim, uh, through his entire association with the CIA. Uh, on the other side of things, he had some handlers within the Chinese intelligence organization, which had various names, but is now known as the Chinese Ministry of State Security, or MSS. But he had several handlers over the years there, and they weren't quite as friendly toward Jim as uh, Ben Stokes was. They were a little more insistent of him giving up uh secret information or confidential information uh, related to some of his work activities. And that was a very delicate line that, that Jim had to walk because he he didn't want to reveal any trade secrets of the company he was working for, but he wanted to try to find ways of keeping the Chinese happy and thinking that he was uh, on their side. Well, I'm sure that that's one of the the intrigue of this book is how he is able to do that. Uh, do they ever are they ever suspicious? Um, it's hard to say if they were ever suspicious. They test the Chinese tested him several times uh, to see if they could uh, find out whether he was being loyal to them or not. Uh, for example, during one period of time, he was. They asked him to become a courier and and take various information back and forth as he was traveling back and forth between Hong Kong and the U.S. And uh, the CIA had a decision to make whether they were going to intercept and understand exactly what he was transporting. And the CIA decided uh, they better keep their hands off it because they thought this was probably a test of Jim. And uh, so they left things alone, and eventually the Chinese asked him to be the courier for some very uh, top-secret information that they were getting from a a source within the U.S., and that's when the CIA stopped in or stepped in and 
and uh, interceded in that whole activity, but they did it in a way that protected Jim's involvement, and he managed to continue to uh, deceive the Chinese intelligence people into thinking that he he was a loyal person working for them uh, for over 30 years. And at the same time, uncovering a network of Chinese spies. Exactly. I mean, uh, they had they had a network in uh, in the U.S. when he first went to work um, in the business world, and uh, one of the people that he was working with that was a spy within the uh, Chinese embassy in Washington D.C. actually approached Jim and wanted to defect and uh, change and live his life in the U.S. And again, Jim had to find a way to do that. Uh, that didn't reveal that he was uh, working for the CIA, which he luckily was successful in doing. And he and his family, I guess, eventually end up in Hong Kong, where you've lived, and he lived there for a decade, but you've lived there, so it comes from a a lot of obvious firsthand experience on your part. Yeah, I had the the good fortune uh, when I was working in business to... uh, travel around the world for a number of years on business activities and then for about a decade myself I lived overseas but I lived in Hong Kong for about five years and then I lived in Tokyo for uh, another four years um, so it it was it was fun to kind of re revisit uh, some of the places that I lived and uh, traveled and weave those things into uh, into the book well, it would be obviously fascinating to learn uh, by reading your book how he recruits his Chinese handler with this Ministry of State Security, uh, the Chinese MSS, to eventually work for the CIA. Yeah, I can't give all the secrets away, so I have to just encourage people to buy the book <laughs> and read it and, and learn how he was successful in his, in his efforts. Well, again, it's it really is plausible, and uh, because of all that we know in today's world, how unfortunately even terrorists grow up among us, and we don't know who they are, and we just kind of accept them as part of the neighborhood. So it makes a lot of sense that Jim Hunt could just kind of fit in and, and not raise uh, red flags to others. Well, that's the, that's the basis of the, the logic that I used when I put put the story together, um, I, I really believe that it is done in a way that is, is totally believable, and like it or not, there probably are normal people um, in this country and various other countries that behind their normal facade uh, have other, other activities that they're involved in that are not necessarily of a friendly nature. And it it fits a human need in all of us because you say Jim Hunt finds the key to success that's fat, satisfying people's needs. So th- that's how he builds this double agent uh, persona, but the way he just satisfies people's needs. That's right. Uh, I, I kind of learned that initially in the business world where when you're selling industrial products, uh, you know, people that haven't been involved directly in sales sometimes think that the way you sell something is you offer it a better price than the competition. 
that usually doesn't work because the competition can always turn around and offer it at a lower price than you, and it just keeps spiraling down until nobody makes any money. So the real the real way to success in in selling a product is finding out what the customer's need is beyond just specifically the price. For example, I had a customer at one point where I found out eventually that the thing that we could do differently than the competition was he had some some fairly narrow requirements on when he could accept products to be delivered at his at his plant. And we had the unique ability to meet that particular need of his much easier than the competition could. And so the whole concept of uh, identifying a person's needs uh, applies whether you're selling a product or whether you're involved in the intelligence business. And and as the as I tried to weave into the story, the various people that he was dealing with as his handlers or people in the intelligence business, they had their needs of their own. I mean, sometimes the the obvious need was they were looking for specific information from him, but he turned that around to f- try to figure out. What motivated them? Why were they, why were they doing what they were doing, and how could he, how could he influence them? And he found out that in many cases, people had needs other than just for more money. Um, for example, in one case, uh, somebody wanted to, the fellow that I talked about that was working at the U.S. Embassy, he was looking for freedom. He didn't want to have to go back to live in China in the future. And so freedom sometimes is a motivator. Freedom for your family might be a motivator and things like that. So mm-hmm. identifying what the need is is uh, is kind of a central theme that, that comes through, the, hopefully that comes through the whole book. And wouldn't you know, Jim Hunt and his wife retired to Hilton Head Island. That's really something. <laughs> well, Hilton Head's a pretty nice place. It's <laughs> a great place to retire. But, of course, retirement doesn't stop him from still working with the CIA and an incredible uh, closing closing a few chapters, I'm sure, about the Russians and their operating nuclear reactors to produce weapons-grade plutonium. So he gets involved with that. He does. Um, like myself, um, the last mission that Jim Hunt is involved in, he uh, joins the Peace Corps and he goes to Russia. And the CIA finds out that he's going to be in Russia and they have a need for him to help them. And it turns out that he gets assigned to a city in the middle of Siberia uh, where outside of that city is a secret city that the Russians have where they have been producing weapons-grade plutonium for a long time. And at one time they had three nuclear reactors producing the plutonium, but they had shut down two of them and but still were operating one. And Jim was given the mission find a way to get that plant shut down. And the big question is, could he find a way to have that happen, and could he be successful, and could he conceal the fact that as a Peace Corps volunteer he was actually working for the CIA? Uh, you'll only find out if you read the book. Well, Kenneth, Kenneth J. Kerr, author of Life of a Double Agent, tell us how to get your book. 
Well, it's available through various online bookstores. Uh, you can go to Amazon.com. You can go to BarnesandNoble.com. You can go to the publisher exlibris.com, or there's a website that is that also has it available. The website is www.lifeofadoubleagent. That's all one word with no no spaces in between the words or the letters. Lifeofadoubleagent.com. Um, it's available as an ebook uh, if you happen to like to read books on a Kindle or a Nook or an iPad. Uh, you can buy it as an ebook for three ninety nine, uh, or you can buy it as a paperback for nineteen ninety nine, or a hardcover for twenty nine ninety nine. So it's available in three formats and at a variety of bookstores online. Th- thank you so much, Kenneth, for being with us on Ex Libris on air. Thank you very much for having me, Steve. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt. And learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswald is the creator of the Rockstar System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from their competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Duswalt, Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Druggynet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Newshawk Reports, The Writings of a Politically Incorrect Newsbird. And the author and the and Mr. Newshawk himself, Frederick Voss, joins us now on Ex Libris on air. Hello, Fred. Hi, how are you doing, Steve? Well, great to have you with us and it's important to see humor in just about anything, and that's what you're trying to do here. You know, in spite of all the madness that's coming out of Washington and, and a lot of state capitals, and even from the local school board at times, uh, you see humor in it. And but boy, it is a, a, a troubled, troubled nation, isn't it? 
Oh, it, it certainly is, and and it just seems to get worse all the time. What's with the the, the onslaught against our religion, the onslaught against the schools, the uh, and, and 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 all this nonsense that's going on in the Senate House with uh, you know gun control and and uh, immigration, which you guys down there in Texas are probably putting up with all the time. That's it, for sure. It just doesn't ever seem to make any sense, and it doesn't ever seem to go away. Well, it, what gets me is that there are so many people who talk about how stupid everybody is, but it, they're not stupid in Washington. You know, the, the Obama administration and all those who have joined in with him, uh, they know what they're doing. Oh, they're, oh they're very, they're, some of them are brilliant. It's just that they're, on the, they're headed down the wrong road, you know. Uh, Hitler was considered pretty bright, wasn't he? Stalin was considered pretty bright, and you know a lot. A lot of our uh, Roosevelt was considered an intelligent man, but look at uh, look at the harm they've done in the, you know, in, in the last century. They they, they they didn't really help anybody. All Roosevelt had to do was butt out, and the depression would have been over in a year after it started. And uh, but. It, it 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 has more to do with with what you want to do with your intelligence. I I don't particularly think that uh, President Obama's a, 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 a that smart a fellow. I don't think he's brilliant. I just think he has a lot of brilliant people working for him. You know. Well, he knows how to read a teleprompter. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I wonder, is he still doing that? Well, I think, yeah, of course, of course. Well, let's kind of take a break in the action here and find out a little bit about you, Fred. Uh, how did this all come about, the Newshawk reports? Well, uh, a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, I, I used to write uh, for, the, for the newspaper here back in the 80s, and I, I had written a, a, a story, and uh, in, in the story, I'd used a word that wasn't a word. And, of course, I took some ribbing for it, but it went through the editors and it went out into the public and nobody said anything about it until the Sunday editor caught a hold of the word and asked if it was a word. Well, it wasn't. And so I, I took some ribbing in the newsroom for it, but so I wrote a piece that, uh, uh, in, in which I wanted the, the word to become, uh, in, in, the, in the English language. And it turns out that it's the first uh, piece in the book. It's called Writer's Cramps. And the editor liked it so much, he offered me a weekly column. And so, well, you know, that's, you know, back, that, that was, that was a heck of a compliment. So I, I, I tried doing this and every week I, I kept trying to come up with interesting topics and write intelligently about it. And I found out I wasn't enjoying myself. I didn't like to come up with, uh, well, I, wouldn't mind coming up with interesting topics. I just didn't want to have to write intelligently. I like to write humorously, and I, I, I very slowly started to uh, put humor in my writings, and the editor, he thought it was all right, and the people responded well. And so I, I came up with Newshawk, and then I came up with a couple other guys that he could talk to in offhanded ways, and uh, I started writing um, that way, it was what I call storytelling satire. Um, and uh, even after I quit the newspaper, I only worked here for uh, about two and a half, three years, and I found out I couldn't afford to work here anymore. And uh, they, But they wanted me to continue writing the, the, the column, which I did for another oh, 
six or seven years, I guess, but it got to be too much. But there was a job I had. So I just quit writing. About two and a half years ago, I decided I wanted to get it back out there again. And uh, so I started writing it, and I asked the uh, managing editor down whether he'd like to pick it up again or not. He said no. He didn't like what I wrote before, and he still didn't like what I wrote, so he didn't get in the <laughs> newspaper again. And uh, I ended up one of those liberal manager, uh, managing editors, you know. And uh, so I started uh, writing it, and I put it on a blog online. And after a couple of years, of course, I had, you know, a whole file full of blogs. There's over a hundred of them. And I said, well, you've got to delete all these, or I have to make a book out of them. I didn't know what the heck else to do. So I... Uh, Contacted Ex Libris and I, uh, we put them in a book form, and now we're trying to get them out there for so people can read and kind of get uh, see what's going on and, and 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 laugh about it. So in these writings, uh, which again you call them storytelling satire, it's a little different than just pure satire. What's the difference? What 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 kind of structure do these uh, stories have? Well, basically, I start off with a premise um, uh, that's true. You know, like the lame duck sessions in Congress have left uh, the country groaning, you know, and I go on and describe that. And then I'll kind of ease into a, a conversation that Newshawk, which is me, has with somebody who is responsible for the problem that we're having. And it's usually, a lot of it is, uh, is dialogue. Uh, I like dialogue because you can do so much with it, and it, it makes for a more uh, exciting, more uh, humorous, I think, uh, uh, writing than just writing block paragraphs full of stuff. And it moves, moves the uh, piece along, and then there's always, at the end, there's always a, a catch, you know. Um, I can give you a kind of an example of... Um, I don't even remember the name of the darn thing now, but it's, I, I, I was, uh, Newshawk was on the border down there in, in Arizona. He wasn't in Texas, but he was in Arizona, and he ran across this Mexican fellow who was digging a tunnel. And he says, wow, he says, what are you doing? And the, and the, uh, and the Mexican fellow says, well, I'm digging a tunnel. And he says, Newshawk says, what are you doing now, digging another tunnel so that more, uh, 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 Illegals can sneak over in the middle of the night, and he says, "Oh, oh no!" He says, uh, we're, we're, "I'm digging a tunnel so the Americans can get out of get out of America." <laughs> he says, he, he, "They heard there was more jobs in Mexico." So. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's unfortunately so, you know, that may it, be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's, and. Uh, Usually, uh, and, 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 and there's even a poem in here, it's called Bo's Christmas Carol, which is, Bo is, of course, uh, Barack Obama, that's his initials, and it, uh, just, it pretty much follows, uh, Charles Dickens' classic, you know, there's a, a Christmas, goes to Christmas past, present, future, and it, the poem describes what went on before, and presently, and then after, and, and in the end, and uh, uh, I, I had again uh, been writing my uh, blog for the newspaper. And the last paragraph in this uh, in this thing was uh, 
We will retain what is rightly ours. We won't give in to commie powers. We'll fight because we're free and brave, and we'll be dancing on your grave. Well, the managing editor of the newspaper got so frantic when he read that, he canceled my column. (laughs) He thought that I was threatening the life of the President of the United States. Yeah, can you imagine? This is a managing editor, and he mistakes uh, an, an idiom for a threat to. You know, who would be stupid enough to threaten the life of the president of the United States in print, mind you? But anyway, that's you know, what goes. What's what goes on around here? Why do you think, think? Why do you think people can't see what's really going on? It seems like so many people don't recognize what's happening. Because they benefit from it, I think. I think they do see it. I, I, I just don't think they care. Uh, too many people benefit from uh, a, a class uh, warfare like this man has created. Uh, people, you know, there was talking 47% of the population now gets a check from the government. Well, you know, uh, there's 47% of the people who are more inclined to vote for Barack Obama than for Mitt Romney, which was obviously the case. Because Romney wasn't so willing to to give them something, I think this is a, a a society of people who are looking for handouts. You know, you and I, uh, Steve, we go back to a time when people were taught to work for a living. This is where we we, we gained our our independence. This is you know how, how we became the, the the type of people we are. Uh, you know, true true. What I call real Americans, that's a phrase. I, I don't separate the two words. Real American is guys like us, you know. Uh, we, we go to work in the morning, we come home at night, we take care of our children, we pay our taxes, we go to church on Sundays, uh, and we do all the things that uh, uh, o- older Americans used to do and what the things that kind of made this country grow into being the, the country that it was, you know. Right. Uh, but I just... Uh, these people, I, I, you see them all the time, and you, you ask them, well, why do you believe this way? And this is, uh, well, because it's the only way, and, and, and they get so mad when they talk. You ever notice how these people, they, mm-hmm. they can't speak to you in a civil tone of voice. It's, it's always with such anger. And I was never an angry person, but damn it, I'm becoming that way. <laughs> I talk to these people, they get mad just because I write a, you know, I... Right. They read my stuff online. They get mad at me. I said, well, look, if it makes you that mad, don't read it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, you deal with the dishonesty of the current administration. You deal with the passing of laws that are completely outside the interest or well-being of the American taxpayer who's being fleeced royally. You also talk about the social socialization of the country and uh, as we were just talking about, even the stupidity of its citizens who don't know what's going on. So it's, and it goes on and on, right? And they do know what's going on. They just don't yeah. care because it's, it's a benefit to them. You know? And then you talk with conservative red state Louis and liberal Pud Politico. Tell us about those yeah. folks. Well, yeah, red state Louis is just uh, he's my conservative buddy. Anytime I need uh, somebody to run a conservative point of view up against, I, I call on Red State to, uh, uh, to to have a conversation with. And uh, Bud Politico is a, a liberal 
uh, a guy in the world, well, like I call him a friend of mine, but it's tongue-in-cheek because he's a real idiot, and I point that out when I when I use him in the columns. And it just uh, he he's there to point out the, uh, the the idiocy of some of the liberal points of view. You know, I needed somebody to kind of bounce those theories off of too. <laughs> since uh, I've come up with a few other characters since then, but they're not in the book. They were they kind of came along afterwards. So there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek, there's a lot of satire, there's a lot of frustration, but at the same time, how do you see the future? I think we're screwed. I think it's gone on too far, and I think that there's too many people who benefit from the way things are, and there's too much power behind, and too much money behind the the wave of socialism that's going on in the country. Look at this thing with the uh, uh, the, the Pentagon now wants to outlaw this. They're talking about religion um, in the military, and then even includes the chaplains for heaven's sake. You know wh- what kind of nonsense is that? Where's the freedom of speech? Where's the freedom of religion? Where, where are our freedoms going? I heard Barack Obama say on television one day. And somebody asked him about uh, him, him violating the Constitution in one respect or another, and he says, "Well, he says that, that Constitution it, it gets in the way of the way I want to take this country." Well, what a hell of a thing for a, a president of the United States to say. He's supposed to be uh, abiding by the Constitution. He, 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 he's supposed to be our our guarantor that these that these laws are, are, are going to stand up, but boy, not this guy, you know, and he's scary. And and I'll tell you the truth, Steve, I, I don't think he knows a lot about what's going on around him. I I, I think there's a lot of these uh, these regulations, uh, these rules that are c- coming down. Uh, uh, I, I think most people know that uh, you, you can create jobs in this country if the government would get out of the way, if they get rid of you know, probably 90% of the regulations they have on the books that thwart businesses, especially small businesses, uh, jobs, the people with the money would be coming out of the woodwork just to, uh, to create jobs. But that won't ever happen because uh, these people do not want jobs. They want dependency, not in- independency. Well, it is what it is. I, I don't know how people can't see it, but he certainly and others around him have their own philosophy, and that's very tell. Uh, that's very telling when he rejects the Constitution. So we're going to get what we get from this kind of of strategy and ideology. And you're pointing it out, and hopefully in a way that maybe people will listen, because you put that little twist of humor, little satire in these. The storytelling. So Frederick Voss, he is the author, and he is the uh, political commentator with through these uh, blogs that he's um, columns that he's put into his book. And the net, the title could is I, the. Should, new, I, should sure. I mention my blog site? Oh, please. Yeah, it's uh, newshawkreport.blogspot.com. Uh, I, I, I place a, a new blog on there every Sunday morning. Uh, I probably should write one a little more often, but I'm writing a second book now, and I have a job and you know other things. So it, it doesn't always work out that I can 
I've, I've tried writing two or three a week. It just doesn't work out very well. So one a week I write. And the book is also uh, um, available on Amazon and um, Barnes & Noble and uh, exlibris.com. And the title is The Newshawk Reports, The Writings of a Politically Incorrect Newsbird. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Fred, on Ex Libris On Air. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, I, I, pre- I enjoyed talking to you, Steve. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.